Hi, I'm Louise. And I'm Camille. Your hosts of the Feminist Book Chat Paris, a podcast that explores both feminist literature and feminist issues of past and present. So for our second book club session at Shakespeare Co, we read King Kong Theory by Virginie Despentes. She's a French feminist figure of the third wave inspired by big time women, so such as Angela Davis, Gail Peterson, Judith Butler, or even Monique Wittig, who I really love. <laughs> and so she's very, fa very famous, uh, or just let's say very much known mm -hmm. for a confidence in assuming a hacks and also about her raw words. Mm. Um, she's always in some way talked about the feminine condition and the weight of identity. However, she definitely shot the patriarchy at its core by publishing KKT. Um, it's her first auto-fictional essay. So it's one of a kind manifesto punctuated with raw frankness that serves up some hard to swallow truths about gender. She's using her own story as a self-proclaimed non-conforming women and um, so this way, the French writer, novelist, and filmmaker uh, Virginie Despentes de deconstruct the binary categorization of male and female identity in a very accessible way, um, which will just drag you out of your comfort zone. So um, it just appears that 11 years after publication, this piece of art still says it all. It's brilliant in conviction and honesty, and we understand gender, identity, and heterosexuality, um, a society that's really based on a binary construction role, mm -hmm. and in a format that, that differs uh, from the essay, allowing a less aware and convinced public to reach the topic, I think. So rape, prostitution, pornography, this book shakes the received ideas, really, and question what we sometimes aren't ready to question ourselves. Like, what role are we really playing in this society? And should we always aim to define ourselves and find fulfillment for the sake of identity? And why do we perceive prostitution and pornography so badly? Yeah, in King Kong Theory, Virginie Despentes tackles stereotypes head on whilst breaking down gender relations as well as the systems that build them. She warns of the constant danger of domination and the need to protect one's freedom at all times from attack, especially those disguised as being socially conscious. For us, uh, it's another great example of a feminist writer sharing concrete examples, just like we saw in our first episode where we discussed Dear Ijaweli, written by Nigerian novelist Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Virginie Despentes introduces her series of essays by identifying herself as a woman that falls short of what is apparently required to fit into the gender norms. Exactly. Her end goal seems to be to demonstrate the performative element to gender, which we'll discuss a bit later on. Let's dig deeper. Yay. So... Um, what are you going to start with, Camille? Yeah, so Lou and I define four major parts kind mm -hmm. of that shape the old book. Yeah. Um, the first one is about rape and sexuality as a founding and redundant basis of her way to 
define feminism. Okay. So Virginie Despentes' approach consists of using an intimate but common life experience for women. In this case, this is rape. Mm. And she makes it a founding basis of her interpretation of feminism to build a fight against the patriarchy. Um, so she says, I'm just translating from the French version, but you will just get the message. Mm. I, I am furious with a society that educated me without ever teaching me how to hurt a man if he strays my tights forcefully, while the same society instilled in me the idea that it was a crime I did not have to go back to. Simply, yes. And I just wanted to highlight this sentence because last week I saw a video on Combini, um, by Combini on Facebook yeah. highlighting uh, self-defense classes for sex worker. And I think this is brilliant, but sad that this is necessary today. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that with me. We'll obviously include that in the show notes for you guys listening. Yes, um, it is sad. It is sad that that is needed, but also great that it's been acknowledged that it's something that's needed and that sex workers are being given the tools. And what I especially liked about that, before you continue, Kemi, is that Combini really... Um, included everyone. So there were transgender sex workers, there were sex workers um, of different colours, and it was, for me, it was really, it wasn't just one type of sex worker as well that made it much more powerful for me. Exactly. So high five to Combini, which (laughs) can surprise us sometimes. So um, back to this, like, founding basis. Using sexual traumatism, experience identity is something we find in many authors' way to approach the topic, Mm, actually. So I just wanted uh, to highlight a few feminist authors who base their feminism on on some events of their life also. Mm -hmm. So Monique Wittig, for example, who uses her sexuality as a lesbian to come to a conclusion, depends, agree to, which is lesbians aren't women. So it's a claim that was published in an essay, The Straight Mind in the 90s, that shocked and offended not only the public opinion, but also many feminists at that time, even though a justification makes it clear now. Um, living in a society means living in a heteronormative heterosexuality. And lesbians escape this social order, so lesbians aren't women. Um, I think it's just... It's just brilliant and confusing at the same time. Um, Yes, I'm still perhaps a bit bit confused. And I definitely read Lesbians Aren't Women as a little bit like WTF. So that your explanation Yeah, when you have the context (laughs) and the explanation, you're just like, oh, okay. Um, Something to explore for me. Definitely. Another example of female author using sexuality as a founding basis of gender equality would be Kate Millett mm. um, with her book Sexual Politics that just says it all. Um, mm. It's an absolute must-have for your bookshelf also. It was written in the 70s and presented as the first book of feminist liter- literary criticism. She explained how sexuality very often has a neglected political aspect mm. 
and she's interested in how the patriarchal system influences sexual relationships by highlighting novels of all time. I have got to read this. Yeah. I've seen it on your bookshelf in your apartment like since forever. It's fantastic. And it's in French, obviously, so I'm never like, Camille, can I borrow this? Because <laughs> I need the English version. But yes, that is so on my yeah. list. It, it's a big book. It, it's quite scary when you just look at it, but so interesting and you can just pick the pages you want to go mm. through. Anyway, uh, last example I think important to underline is Jadid Butler, who also follows this line as she writes Gender Trouble in the 90s, a great essay to understand how women's body are appropriated, leading to their political, economical and sexual subjugation. Wow. So, yeah, I think it's just quite few examples that need to be highlighted also because they they serve the purpose of uh, Virginie Despentes in her book. Yeah. Um, So back to Virginie Despentes' um, porn as uh, with prostitution, the, the dominant position of feminism is mocked by an obvious hypocrisy on pornography. So feminism, for example, criticizes the porn film industry for not showing the reality of sex. And according to Virginie Despentes, this justification makes no sense because It is the very function of the cinema. So yeah. for her fantasy, adventure, fiction, movies, are they accused of not showing reality? Obviously not. Right. And I mean, so no one, you know, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, if you are a fan of these things, that's great. But yeah, exactly. we, we don't question reality like you've mm. just said. Exactly. And, and money also, like, mm. the real problem into this industry is that women use their body not like their body like men and what bother and that's what bother people actually and the money they make out of it uh, is often more money than men do so according to Virginie Despentes uh, what hinders morality in prostitution is not that the woman does not find pleasure but that she moves away from home and hurts and earns her own money yeah that it's that yeah it's like well, well I've understood that as the uh, what's threatening, uh, what's potentially threatening to men about sex work is a woman's financial independence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because uh, one of the past books that we read together before we, we started at Shakespeare and Co. Um, was Sex Work Matters. And it, it's a really great book. We'll pop a link to it in the show notes. Uh, for many of us, for many of us, it was an introduction to getting a grasp on how sex work matters around the world. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that has stayed with me from that book is um, a, a sex worker shares the fact that sex work is the easiest job to get hired in and the, the quickest to earn money. So you can, you know, have an interview the same day, be working the same evening, and the following morning you have money to pay your bills. Mm -mm. Definitely. I'll put food on the that, table. That's so it. Thank you, friend, for being more clear on this part. Oh, nice. um, so that's it kind of for this first part. And I guess I'll just go in the second part. Please do. Um, so the second part is... We just called it a voice among materialist feminists, um, deconstructing the binary categorization of identities. Sorry, quick question. Materialist feminism. 
two sentences. Um, so it's a wave of the feminist um, movements. Yeah. It's one of the movements that believe in um, that um, everything is socially constructed mm -hmm. and that social norms are like human has no nature and everything has mm -hmm. been socially constructed. Right. So women's role, men's role, and yeah, that everything's very defined. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I have a hard time explaining in English, but I no, guess no, that was great. I guess we're clear on that. That was great. So uh, Virginie Despentes clearly highlights that gender is a performance. Um, so she follows Butler's path by demonstrating that gender is performative. Oh, There's only yeah. performances, stagings, and acts of masculinity and femininity. Something strongly appealing to the materialist feminist in general, right, as makes sense. I was trying yeah. to explain, uh, who aims to deconstruct the models of appropriation of women's body that lead to the political, economical subjugation. Okay. So. She, she explains how domination of women takes place through material practices in the domestic or social context. Uh -huh, so yeah. I think that explains ex exactly your question about what actually is this movement yes. that I call materialist feminism. Yes. Um, so I think this is quite interesting. And also, uh, we'll talk about it in our next uh, podcast, but there's a book we're about to read no spoilers, no, no spoilers. spoilers. <laughs> but that will talk also about we'll gender, explore that. about yes. performativity, in and a lot more detail. I fascinating. Feel. Yes. So anyway, uh, jumping off, Kong, yes, uh, beauty shackles. Mm. Let's talk about that. So according to the author, the current enemy is above all the aesthetic dictate, even more since women have won the freedom to circulate in society. <gasps> Lucky us. Beauty shackles. Yeah. The hyper-primed and seductive woman, even the hottie, as the expression of the author, will reassure men, yeah. no worry, dear man, I'll stay right here where you expect me, confined in my body appearance. Yeah. The ideal woman, woman and what she is expected to be, the ideal of the white women, seductive but not a war, well married but not erased, etc., etc., etc. It's actually an ideal that, anyway, does not exist, obviously. So it makes me think a little bit of Beauté Fetale, uh, which is a book from Mona Cholet. She's a journalist. She's a journalist. Yeah, French uh, journalist. French journalist at Le Monde Diplomatie that I really love. I think it's a life changing book that really deconstructs point by point the shackles of feminine beauty and how much of a hell is it for us to reach um these, these expectations exactly yeah so even those who think they're good with the image they're good in their shoes they feel confident about their body um what image of of reference are you applying your goodness to I mean, is that clear mm. in English? Like when you say, I feel good, what do you refer to to, to think that you refer, exactly. you refer to? Exactly, like what's the, what are you benchmarking exactly. yourself against? And I think for women in every part of the world, it's a different benchmark, it's a different pressure, isn't it? Exactly, so I think it's, it's quite funny because I used to, to, to think that also, and it shook me up, but I, I used to think, oh yeah, I feel good, I feel good about myself but my body but 
what do I reference to? And obviously, mm. well, I reference to the beauty shackles. So I feel mm. like my image is quite okay with mm. what I'm supposed to be. So I yeah. feel good. And so that's the thing. I, th I think it's, it's, it's quite interesting to, to think about that. How did you, quick question, sorry. How did you get out of that way of thinking? Like, when did that change for you? When did you kind of think, well, oh. no, I'm, I'm my own person and I can look oh friend forward. it's an everyday it's ongoing, right it's an everyday exercise yeah, like I'd agree I, I don't feel like reading this book I'm now okay I'm all done with these like stereotypes <laughs> sure. and cliche and it. stuff I have to fit in yeah it's it's an everyday exercise I just have to think about it all the time to make sure that I adapt my behavior um, in order to not fall into these traps mm. um, but it's definitely an everyday thing. Yeah. I mean, the system is is big. And yeah. just realizing thing is the first step to change, I guess. No, definitely. So, sorry for Sorry, this back to Virginie uh, Defont. But men also are, um, uh, are concerned by these beauty shackles. And yeah. she points out that women are not alone in this binary violence which I think is quite interesting and powerful and important to include men in this violence of what we're expected to be and yeah, to do. Of their, yeah, of their identity yeah. and how they should be. And so the society is also mutilating men, as she says, who must never be like seen as emotional, for instance, or the fact that the price to pay for keeping the woman at home and dominated is to go out to like, you know, there's also some stuff that uh, there's a revers de médaille, like there's a. Obviously, women are treated some bad way, but men also have to endure stuff. Not to say that it's more difficult or as difficult for men to fit in society, but but they have their we societal have pressures, yeah, exactly. like be the breadwinner, have the career, the amazing career, and the ridiculously attractive wife and the really cute children. Exactly. Who, yeah, yeah. So to end up this chapter uh, about materialist uh, movement, um, Despont is definitely not a feminist belonging to those who believe in the exaltation of feminine power and beauty, who will find strength in their uterus to fight against patriarchy and lead us to a matriarchal society, just to make sure I think we understood that. Yeah. But that's where we could make a difference between to reference to your question earlier, um, the, there's the materialist movement and then there's also the essentialist who are much more about glorifying the women. And mm. so that's why I make this point about yeah. she's definitely more on the materialist side. Yes, Not definitely. saying that there's one way or an better than another. Oh, no. Uh, she just identifying this. I think yeah. we, we clearly agree on on this type of movement. Well, there's there's many th stuff to say. I'll yeah, it, it's basically very clear where she stands. And <coughs> so it's useful to know that when you're listening to us talk about the book, if you've read the book or if you're going to read the book. Yeah. I didn't know that before I read it. Mm -mm. So I think, yeah, I think that's that's incredibly helpful to know. Good. Um, so I think something important that we'll probably be discussing in most of our book club podcasts is the language. Yay. Um, so I'm gonna talk about the fact that her, her vocabulary is very raw. It can be quite destabilizing and sometimes even a little disturbing. 
Um, if you compare the writing style of King Kong Theory uh, directly with Dear Ijawili, our previous uh, book, then it's it's chalk and cheese. Um, we said it last podcast, Dear Ijawili and the author's delivery in general is incredibly measured and self-assured. Whereas at the session for King Kong Theory, a few of us described Virginie Dupont as sounding angry and that is exactly how I felt a lot of the time I was reading the book um, just to clarify it didn't put me off at all what she was saying um, I you know I was still very much listening to her and processing her words but her it did have the effect sometimes that I would feel quite on edge because of her particular writing style mm. but you know on the flip side uh, you know, I said this during the, the session, there were also many moments in the book when I just wanted to give her a standing ovation for what she was saying. Yeah. Um, but I think this is all about how the individual reader interprets the style, tonality and vocabulary of the writer. Um, again, this, this is originally a French um, book written in French, which has been translated into English. So I think we're always quite aware, aware of, sometimes in translation, maybe you're missing some of the nuances of that the, that the uh, of author originally intended. Um, I, I mean, this was definitely not a waste of time for me to read this. It was quite the opposite. It introduced me to a lot of new um, feminist authors mm -hmm. in terms of reference and uh, historical theory. I don't know, what did you think about the writing style, Camille? Um, I really like it. I, I read the book three times, mm -hmm. so now I feel like it's totally fine. But I don't <laughs> remember exactly how I felt at first. Yeah. Uh, I definitely understand the, ang the angry part. And it's actually like a, an interesting writing style that when I used to be more like classic literature, I had some trouble. Like yes. when I read Celine or Bukowski for the first time, I was like, oh, yeah. disturbed in my little comfort Edgy. zone. Exactly. Yes. And I feel like in a more modern and feminist way, mm. um, this is the type of book uh, and writing style that Virginie Despentes has. Mm. Uh, and so it's raw and definitely not Catholic. Uh, it's disturbing, disturbing, but yet ex exalting at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, she can definitely get you fired up, you know, yeah. and like wanting to get on your soapbox and, and, and talk about feminist mm -hmm. uh, issues as well. Um, something I'd like to talk about a little bit is in relation to marriage. So in the chapter called Sleeping with the Enemy in the English version, the author describes marriage as akin to unpaid prostitution. Um, so to quote her, she says, over the last 10 years, I have often found myself in stylish living rooms in the company of ladies who have always had their bills paid for them by the marriage contract often divorced women living off substantial alimony agreements. And these same ladies explained to me, without the shadow of a doubt, that prostitution is in itself a bad thing for women. Now, this, 
this idea, it's not the first time we have heard this argument. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, the English writer Mary Wollstonecraft uh, said in her book, A Vindication of the Rights of Women, um, that for women to marry for a support was legal prostitution. In the past decade, the Australian feminist author Sheila Jeffries has also covered this controversial topic in her book, The Industrial Vagina. She actually goes one step further and offers up male order brides as evidence of marriaging, oh, evidence of marriaging? As mm -hmm. evidence of marriage being akin to prostitution slash sex work, let's call it sex work. This industry is for her essentially a form of trafficking the types of men who predominantly use these services are white or from wealthy countries, whereas the brides come from cultures where the female stereotype is often subservient and docile. Mm -hmm. Now, Camille, tell me what you think, but I think this comparison between marriage and ma marriage and sex work, marriage is unpaid sex work, I think it shocks or offends for two reasons. One, we're still working with an outdated image of the sex worker. I think a lot mm -hmm. of people assume that they're marginalized or damaged individuals, i.e. they're a victim of sex trafficking or of sexual assault. And the second thing is that I think this highlights the judgmental attitude that still surrounds sex work. This idea that it is simply not dignified mm -hmm. um, and I and it's not dignified for the woman that falls on the female sex worker without the male clients being touched mm -hmm. by that at all you know um, but for me whatever counts as dignified is something that has been socially constructed um, well or who is it for us to determine what is dignified and not and say that sex work is not dignified? Well, the whole thing about like about comparing like sex work and marriage for King Kong for Virginie Despentes. Yeah. I, I understand a process as the old book stands against cultural constructions. So when she suggests um, that if women realized they could sell sex without compromising their dignity. The marriage contract would be shown up for what it is, a market in which for a bargain price, a woman agrees to carry out a number of cores, notably sexual, to ensure a man's comfort. For her, I think for the authors, for the author, married women do sell their body, they just don't realize it. And if they did, they'd, they'd leave their marriage and society would crumble which is not in the interest of the power of the power that be and so is prevented by keeping hookers dirty yeah so, so i understand i totally understand a point but yes oh. applying to like some people uh, not everyone um and it's still the way it is in nowadays society for many families like obviously not in uh, new generations various open-minded but I think in many culture, in oh, many countries, in many countries, I'm in many culture, even in France, I think it's not conscious, but it might be the way it is. 
Mm, sure, I see what you mean. It's a bit harsh, but since the entire book is about going against all that, I think it makes sense. Oh yeah, uh, yes, I I am definitely um, I definitely agree with you. I I was not shocked by this comparison mm-hmm. um, because I've read it in other feminist uh, literature, and I think for me, what I got out of her point was the fact that. There's, there's still a, a, a huge way to go in changing the public's perception of sex work, in fact, yeah. and that we need to keep educating ourselves about the ins and outs of that industry yeah. Um, to, 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 yeah, to, to raise awareness on that. that. I think that's, for me, her, her theory didn't, yeah, it didn't shock me. It was just what I took out of it was like, wow, we really need to yeah. keep reading about that. Definitely. So I could go on and on and on and on about language. Um, I think it's like one of my favorite things to talk about (laughs) when we're discussing uh, feminist literature. But I'm gonna stop myself there and move on to um, the next topic, which is this search for individual identity uh, actually trumps gender equality in King Kong theory. So, why King Kong Theory? Because that's something where I was like, why is this book called that? Um, the author actually uses the metaphor of King Kong to highlight the concept of sexuality up until the end of the 19th century. So basically before genders became completely separate entities. So this big hairy bee straddles um, man and beast, adult and child, good and bad, primitive and civilized. There's a female character in King Kong uh, called Anne Darrow, and she is used as bait by a man to entrap King Kong. But it doesn't work out how the guy thought it was going to. Um, She actually uh, develops a friendship with the beast. She's actually happy on the island where he lives, an island which is full of asexual or polymorphous creatures. And Virginie Dupont raises the point that by leaving King Kong's island, um, Anne Darrow, the the woman, is effectively abandoning her wild, untamed side, Mm -hmm. which equals power, to go back to her city life, which represents heterosexuality and how this is a sacrifice for her when she has actually been offered up as a sacrifice in the first place. So this poor woman really gets a bad, bad lot in life. Um, King Kong is captured and brought back to New York. He's kept in chains and he then becomes a metaphor for society at large. He ends up destroying New York, another civilization, unintentionally whilst he's looking for his new friend. Um, And this is the consequence of others having taken him out of his natural environment. So it's the men in uniform representing the state that destroy King Kong, thus cutting Anne off from her own power. Because once he's out of the picture, her only choice is to choose the hero this horrible guy who used her as bait in his big plot and but who society has kind of assigned this status of the male protagonist the male hero who gets the girl 
Yeah. So that's just to explain to you the the whole King Kong theory that Virginie Dupont builds her essays around. I think, like in my opinion, also like King Kong f- to me is also an image of androgyna, andro- androgyny. Oh, androgyny. Yes. Androgyny. Yes. Um, I don't know if you were about to highlight this, but I think. I think it's a great image, a great metaphor to talk about androgyny because King Kong uh, doesn't is, have boobs, doesn't, doesn't have, have a boob. penis. Exactly, yeah, it's not really an animal or human. Exactly, it's kind of like an, an image. So I think it's um, it's quite interesting to see it this way also. Uh, well, I think it's I think that's why it's important to talk about this whole idea of finding your individual identity because I feel like that's what she's really against. <laughs> Yeah, really against, <laughs> clearly. And that that's her fight. That's that's the fight that she's chosen. Yep. Um, so, for example, something else that struck me as I was reading is how Virginie Dupont is totally unconcerned with society's idea of femininity. So, from an early age, she tells us she has identified as a punk rock which is synonymous with anti-establishment rules and rejecting constructed constructed codes and yet uh, various men that she came across in her life not even boyfriends but for example her psychiatrist or a policeman that she came across at a demonstration they would take it upon themselves to ask her why she had made herself ugly Mm. and was she afraid to be pretty Um, When it came to her professional life, her experience upon the release of her book and uh, film called Bis Moi, uh, which was actually banned, um, she had to listen to male critics pointing out to her that films should be made with pretty women doing pretty things, which... That's terrible. Yeah, so at all these points in her life, um, she's come up uh, against this battle and there was actually a moment when she became a bit more famous that she decided to dress and behave in a more feminine way and she noticed that people congratulated her uh-huh. for it um, so the conclusion that she comes to in regards to femininity which I took a lot from and it's really I need to keep hold of this Her conclusion is that it's the art of servility. To quote her, you can call it seduction to make it sound glamorous, but for the majority of women, femininity is the simple habit of behaving as an inferior. That's so it. Um, That's so dramatic and disturbing and... But it hits the nail on the head. Exactly, exactly. Like, femininity becomes about the art of pleasing men, which involves throwing any kind of power or wish for identity completely out of the window. So actually, it's kind of like to be feminine is actually to be insecure. Um, You have to be a good listener. You've got to be great at anything that's domestic. Um, You know, you've got to have some intellectual you've got to have some intellect you've got to have some culture but not too much of these things um in case you threaten your male counterpart that's what she starts the book with 
Really? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. So it's all of this is leading to Dupont's desire to deconstruct this ideal that, as you say, Camille, she introduced at the beginning of this book. So this ideal of the attractive but not whorish white woman who's in a good marriage but not self-effacing, <laughs> you know, well married but not erased. I mean, this doesn't exist. And I don't know, the author thinks this ideal doesn't exist. Of course it doesn't. I think that it it does exist that some women do have to, well, not, not that it exists, but I feel like some women feel like they have to conform to this idea of femininity. And actually, it's just it's bloody exhausting. Exactly. It's exactly. like just chasing this ideal again or conforming mm -hmm. to something that society has decided for you. I say no. Um, so actually, you realise that th throughout the essay, you know, her fight isn't at all about a gender, uh, it isn't a gender, it isn't at all about gender equality. Um, it, it's, this is not her goal. What Dupont highlights is the recognition, the recognition, I cannot say this word. Recognition? Thank you. <laughs> the recognition of identities or individual choices and the total freedom to do with your body exactly what you want. Because if you think about it, we spend our lives constructing, then deconstructing or modeling, reshaping, fitting ourselves into some kind of context or experience uh, to fit with the people around us. And actually, isn't this just a way to reassure like socially constructed ideals to have an identity that other people can instantly understand and recognize and feel safe? Of course, and I think it's like the principle of human being, we need to identify, to put people in a box, like without being judgy. When you meet someone, you have to put him in a box in some way, just in order to know how to react, to act with him, to position yourself from him. And it's the same way we do it for ourselves. We need to like put ourselves in some place just yes. to know where we stand, what we do, who we are. It's quite natural, well, natural, <laughs> socially constructed <laughs> it has in any become way. Natural. It has become natural, <laughs> yeah. indeed. And so uh, I, I like that she questions this. This, this for yes. me was like, it felt very educational and quite revelationary for yeah. me. Yeah, it's a lot to think about afterwards. It is, it is a lot to That's think about. That's why I think it's a fantastic book to share in a discussion, yes. like in a book club, because yeah. also like I've been reading this book three times and it's the first time we actually, I actually could discuss it like with people that had read it at the same moment and mm. I felt like I got a complete different lecture mm. as I could share some of my thoughts and there's yeah. some some like hidden messages that some people see, some other don't, some interpretation that are really different depending on your life experience. Yeah, or so. your education or yes, absolutely. No, Just it was it. Uh, it was really great. I I think I'm going to finish there so that we can talk about our kind of key conclusions. Yay. So, key takeaways I think in general, like this author is just fabulous in the way she's both intimate, militant, and 
uninhibited. So it's like a thought-provoking book that highlights the extent to which women's bodies are appropriated by the patriarchal state, yeah. resulting in the political... Um, uh, how do you say well, that? Well, sub subjugation, subjugation in all kinds of yes. ways, yeah. So it brings together many small everyday life examples of male domination, beauty shackles, interiorized and socially constructed way of thinking and acting in society, which can be scary as you read them because you're like, oh my God, I'm just so much in the system. How am I going to get out of How this? How do I get off? Yeah. Um, and she perfectly illustrates the identities, issues and struggle for men and women and yeah. actually like not only men and women, but all type of how yeah, you define, however however you, you define yeah. yourself and points out androgyny, 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 androgyny yeah. um, with metaphors with King Kong, which I think is really smart. Yeah. So that's, I that's, agree. that's what I, I could highlight. Okay, that's great. I'm going to keep it short and sweet. For me, um, it was really... I, I would recommend reading and rereading her two, two particular chapters. Uh, one about the sex work industry, so sleeping with the enemy, and the other chapter about porn, which I believe in the English version is called Porno Witches. I don't want to say too much because I feel like porn is something that we're going to talk about in subsequent um, Yay, episodes. No spoiler. But she really takes a stand for female sex workers. And when you consider that she was writing this in, well, it was published in 2006 originally, um, I feel like it was quite provocative for its time. Yeah. But I really appreciated her taking a very clear stand on that and making people question and challenge the, the judgment they have around the sex work industry. Definitely. You just yeah. said 2006, so I just realized that earlier in the podcast I said 11 years after, so... 12 years 12 after. years after, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. It's not a math podcast. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. So, um, you can find all the links for books or articles that we've referenced in this episode in our show notes. And for more FBC news, you can follow us on Instagram at the account at the FBC Paris. And if you got any question for us or our guest, feel free to tweet us at the FBC Paris. And the sign-up link for our fortnightly newsletter is in both our Instagram and Twitter bio. Thanks for listening. Join us in two weeks when we'll be talking about Maggie Nelson's The Argonauts. Yay. Bye. Bye.